Built Not Born, episode 48. I'm Joe Chicarone. Today's guest is Chef Sahuda Seychelle. Chef Sahuda Seychelle is the owner of Yuda Restaurant in Center City, Philadelphia. Before opening Huda, Chef Seychelle was the executive chef and partnered Abe Fisher a restaurant from the James Beard Award-winning restaurateurs Michael Samanov and Stephen Cook. You do and I go into what it was like opening a restaurant at the start of a pandemic. What he learned at his time working at Zahav, Abe Fisher, and how he ties it all together in his new venture, Yuda. We also go into the systematic approach to cooking, what jujitsu can teach you about cooking, and his plans for the future. Chef Yuda is such an awesome guy. I've been lucky enough to train with him in jujitsu for a number of years. He is a great dude. He's an amazing chef. His sandwiches at Yuda, his new venture, are phenomenal. Try the grilled swordfish. It is fantastic. I'm so glad Yuda took the time out of his busy schedule to connect over the podcast and share his story. I hope you enjoy. So... Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Chef Sahuda Seychelle, owner of Yuda Restaurant in Center City, Philadelphia. And remember, life is built, not born. Chef Yahuda Seychelle. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Awesome to have you. Chef, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? So, Yehuda Seychelle. I am chef owner of a restaurant called Huda, where we specialize in sandwiches made on our house-baked milk buns. We're located in Rittenhouse Square on 18th and Chestnut in Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, I want to get into your new restaurant, Yuda, your restaurant in Rittenhouse, which is excellent. Want to get into your time that you spent at Zahav and Abe Fisher and what it was like opening a restaurant during the middle of a pandemic. But before we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Elkins Park and my family moved to Baltimore, Maryland when I was about five years old. So I grew up in Baltimore, moved to Philly when I was about 18. I was in LA for a year, but other than that, I've been in Philly since then. And I'm actually moving this week to New Jersey. So just right over the bridge, Cherry Hill, not too far. So yeah, the end of an era for me. Dude, congrats, man. That is exciting. When you think back to when you were, say, maybe 10 years old, I find that 10, 12-year-old time frame very formative in people's lives. What was it like around your dinner table at that time? Who was there? What was going on? Could you describe the scene? I don't know if we were all sitting down at the same time. You know, I come from a a family of six kids, so we were kind of all getting at it. We all went to different schools. I grew up Orthodox Jewish. My sisters went to a girls' school. My brothers and I went to another school. Dinner was probably just sitting in the oven on a low temperature, and whoever wanted to grab it would grab it when it was ready. 
my dad was probably working. So there wasn't much of a dinner table, I would say. More of just we'd have chicken nuggets at the kitchen counter when we were ready. <laughs> Looking back at that time, who was your biggest influence as a kid? My biggest influence was probably my derelict friends. How <laughs> so? Which was which was no good. So that that was not a good influence. I had some maybe some good teachers along the way. At that age, I don't know. It's hard to tell. How about if you look back as a kid before you went off to school? When did you first realize you loved to cook and you were good? Um, at it? So I didn't. You know, I didn't cook much as a kid up until I was about fifteen, and then I got a job in a restaurant. Okay. So. What type of restaurant? It was a, actually it was a Jewish deli. So I was making sandwiches. Okay. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> and I, and I really fell in love with it and they would make their own potato salad and coleslaw and chop their own vegetables. So there was like a certain amount of cooking and knife work that went into it. I learned how to make the brisket and the turkey. And there was actually like, yeah, a fair amount of cooking that went into it. And I really took a liking to it. I, I really enjoyed the hands-on knife work and just the idea of being able to learn a craft that I could utilize at my house. You know, I could help my mom with cooking and I could cook, I cook my own food. I could then cook, you know, chicken and steak better than they were cooking it. I would say. So it really became something that I latched onto because of that. If someone asked the 18 year old version of you, what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you think they'd say? When I was 18, I probably would have said I want to be a chef. When's the earliest you realized you wanted to be that? Well, you know, 15, 16. Awesome. Pretty early with, with working in the kitchen. So, I, and, I, and I really liked it. How many kids today go to college, go 90 grand in debt and have no idea what they want to do? You know? And yeah, you most figure that out. Most of Yeah, most of them. Yeah, right? Really cool. So, take us through. You graduate high school. What's your next move? So, I took my GED. While I was working, I was also going to a local program for teenagers that didn't necessarily fit into the Orthodox Jewish private school mold. So I was in this program that you would work during the day and then you would take GED classes at night. Mm -hmm. I was actually too young to take my GED because you had to be 16. Mm -hmm. and I think I started that program when I was 14 or I was pretty young. After I got my GED, I wanted to go away to culinary school, but I was sort of running into some issues. I grew up in a kosher home, you know, with a lot of food restrictions and the culinary schools I wanted to go to were not supervised kosher, obviously. So I was running into some obstacles there. It just seemed a little too complicated. My parents weren't super thrilled with the idea of like taking out loans and all this stuff. It just, it became too complicated. So I kind of lost my way a little bit. I ended up going to a culinary school in Israel for a year to okay. study. I don't even know what I was studying, but it was like an American program where <laughs> you basically got drunk all the time. And yeah, that was the extent of my, my first Israel trip. Then I came back and I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then I ended up in that culinary school in Israel when I was like 18 and I left after just a few months after I learned some basics. Culinary school is kind of like jujitsu, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like your first few weeks, you're learning the basics. Mm -hmm. You're learning how to make a stock. You're learning how to do an arm bar. You're learning, yeah, sure. 
you're, re- you're really learning the fundamentals. And I only stayed there for four months, but it really set me up to understand the systematic approach to cooking, Yep. the discipline and sort of the infinite wisdom that's based on these fundamentals, yep. which like couldn't, couldn't be more mirrored by jujitsu, you know? Yeah. Cause that systematic <laughs> approach with cooking, it, they're two totally different worlds, but the principles remain the same. If you don't have that systematic approach based on principles, things you never do, things you always do, it crumbles, right? And yep. if you don't learn how, you say, like to make a stock, you can't go make something really complicated, correct? A hundred percent. You can't. I mean, stocks are like the, the basics. Like if you, you can't make a proper chicken soup without making a proper chicken stock. Mm-hmm. You can't braise short ribs without a, a beef stock. You can't. With old school French cooking, that was really the basis for everything. And you can't cook a piece of fish if you don't know how to fillet it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could go buy it from a supermarket, yep. but that only goes so far when you're working as a chef. After that, I moved to Philadelphia, 19. I get a job at a restaurant here working for Al Paris. He was an old chef here. He had a couple of restaurants. He opened a place called Mantra, and I got a job there. Mm-hmm. That lasted a few months, and then I ended up at a place called Brasserie Perrier. Which oh, was yeah, George- Walnut Street. That was great. Yeah, Perrier, yeah. That was awesome. That was George Perrier. That was Lebec Finn's sister restaurant. It was it was awesome. Um, I had a great time. I lasted about six months, and then I ended up at a restaurant called Ray, R-A-E, in the Sierra Center, working under a chef named Daniel Stern. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Learned a lot of great stuff there, and then I ended up at Zahav in 2008. Wow. And then from Zahav you know, Citrano Rose and then Abe Fisher and then Uda. So when you're at Zahav, right? Are you there at the beginning or, or how, how far? I mean, you? yeah. So I, I started there in, in 2009. I started there, sorry, 2009. They opened okay. in 2008. I, I started in 2009. Okay. I only worked for two months before I moved to LA for a year. After being in LA for a year, I came back to Zahav in 2010 was there for about two years. And then we opened, actually, we opened a restaurant together, them and I, on the main line called Citrona Rose. And it was actually a kosher restaurant that we were managing consultants at. Okay. That only lasted a few months. So then I came back to Zahav. This is still 2012. We started planning Abe Fisher, which would then open in 2014. In those two years, I was sous chef, I was pastry chef. I was also doing a lot of R&D for the new restaurant, Abe Fisher. And then I hopped over to Abe Fisher. We opened that together in 2014. And then I was the head chef there up until March 16th, 2020. <laughs> Man, I want to get there, but just back a track a little bit. So you're at Zaha for two months and you go to LA. What, made, what, what precipitated the move out to LA? How'd that happen? I was taking a risk, just start, get a new start going out there. I was like dating a girl and it seemed like a good idea at the time. Chasing a girl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, so we did that. and But again, I came back maybe a year later. Okay. So you come back and then you when you, you go back to Zahav? Go back to Zahav for a couple yep. of years. Michael Salomov, Salomov, right? Yeah. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. Salomov. Solomon, at one point, year or two back, rated top restaurant in the country. Yeah, he's won five James Beard Awards. Like crazy. They they were voted number one restaurant in Philadelphia for many years. They've gotten every accolade you could 
possibly think of. When I was there, we won James Beard Award for, he won it for Best Chef Mid-Atlantic. So we basically go to the best restaurant in the Mid-Atlantic region, which was a huge win. And this was in 2010, I think, mm-hmm. right when I came back, pretty much. And then uh, in 2000, and I want to say 17, we won, Zahav won Best Restaurant in the Country. Wow. Pretty cool. Which is pretty massive. And this was, I want to say the year after he won best chef in the country. Did you guys all get rings like Super Bowl rings? And, and <laughs> no, <stuff? laughs> we did, no, we did go out to Chicago though for the award show. It was pretty cool. I remember, I think I saw a picture of you standing on stage behind this guy. Yes. That, that was awesome. So you, you're at Sahab before you moved to Aiden Fisher, right? And become the head chef. What did you learn your time at Sahab? Any life lessons? Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you put your head down and you really work for something you can achieve it. Like when I first started with him, when I first met Mike in 2008, he would always say, I want a James Beard award. I want a James Beard award. I want it. He was probably 28 at the time. And now he's in his early forties and, and he's won five James Beard awards since then. Damn. Um, he wanted best restaurant. He wanted four bells. That was another thing. So four bells, that was a Craig LeBan, mm-hmm. Philadelphia Inquirer. At the time there were only, I want to say four rest, five restaurants that were given these bells. I think now there's eight. Vetri was one of them. Black Belt, Mark Vetri. Mm-hmm. There was a couple other restaurants. A couple of them aren't even around anymore, but we got four bells. And it was, that was a massive win for us. We just kept pushing. And, and it wasn't only about putting out great food. It was about caring about every guest that came in, mm-hmm. really caring about it. Care, you know, he, he would go out and talk to the tables and, really create an experience for the people. And again, it wasn't just people coming in and eating good food and having good service. It was creating an atmosphere, a live fire where they cook the, the lafas and the Jerusalem stone and the music and just everything about it creates this experience. But really, yeah, like you put your mind to something and you work it. And when he didn't get there by treating his employees like shit, he's a great leader and he knows how to uplift his employees and have them work as a team and work hard as hell, but like feel like they're doing working towards something and working towards something great. And yeah. Well, it looks like Chef Mike, he's got the culture thing just nailed where not only is it a great atmosphere, but he treats his people right. He's a, he engages the guests. He's not some like great chef in the back that's introverted, never talks to the guests. He's engaging, great atmosphere, teamwork. He empowers people. It sounds like what you're saying. And then you throw on top amazing food. And that's and all of a sudden you got four bells and five James Beard awards. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what precipitated the move to Abe Fisher? How'd that come about? In 2012, when we opened that restaurant, Citron Rose, the concept was supposed to touch on like Eastern European Jewish cuisine. You know, my grandparents, they were from Hungary and Czechoslovakia and Germany. They survived the war. They lost a lot of family members and they came back with, they came to the U.S. with nothing and a handful of recipes, probably a couple bucks. Wow. And there was a lot of good food that came down here after the war. And we were actually trying to relive some of that food and rejoice through the food and just bring life to just tragedy that happened out there. But anyway, so mm-hmm. we were going to do Eastern European Jewish cuisine like pre 
38, I would say. We actually went to Hungary, we went to France right before we opened the restaurant, myself and Mike and Steve, his business partner. We took a trip out there and we tried all this great food. We actually went to the area where my grandparents used to live, my grandmother. Where, where is she from? In Budapest. Yeah, during the war. I mean, the, the Jews in Hungary or in Budapest specifically, they were kind of forced into this ghetto. And now it's there's beautiful hotels there. It's actually the red light district, which is very <laughs> weird. Um, but it was right down the block from where my grandmother grew up. She passed probably 10 years ago, but I, my great aunt who was still alive at the time, I was able to get the address and I, and I was able to stand in front of where they lived, which was oh, amazing. How cool is that? Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. crazy. That's so cool. So, yeah, so, so we started to do that type of food. So it was like Hungarian, little Russians, German, Jewish cuisine, which was really, really cool. But after we left Citrona Rose, we wanted to do we still wanted to keep that alive, which is why, which was the inspiration behind Ian Fisher. We called it the Jewish diaspora cuisine. Mm-hmm. You know, Jews have been traveling for many years, trying to find a home. I think we found it. <laughs> um, and we, it's a modgepodge of cuisines and cultures. So it's really hard to pinpoint what Jewish cuisine is. So that's what we were trying to figure out. What is Jewish cuisine? And we were specifically focused on the Eastern European aspect of it. So mm-hmm. that's where Abe Fisher came about. We were doing smoked fish, smoked and pickled fish, pastrami, and a lot of meat and chicken liver and rye bread and all that good stuff. Really cool. How about, so you're there for how many years? Five years. So you were at Abe Fisher for five years, running the show, head chef. Uh, getting great reviews, doing amazing food. At what point did you decide it was time to do something else? Yeah. So my daughter, Liliana was born three years ago. And I realized that in order for me to have just like a, a family lifestyle, I had only a couple choices. I didn't want to be a corporate chef. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to do that. I loved the creativity side of it. And I knew I would lose that if I became clipboard chef where I would just be in an office all day doing inventory, Mm. running numbers. And the center city lunch rush was booming at the time. Yep. So I really wanted to, I wanted to figure out a way to capitalize on that. So I figured if I opened a lunch restaurant, Mm -hmm. I could still do my creative work. I could still be in center city Mm -hmm. and I could maybe do well and I would always be home at night and then eventually I could pick my own schedule and I wouldn't have to answer that anymore. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Dude, that sounds like a plan. No. And then all this is brought about by what you had your first baby and that made me yeah. change your thinking a little bit. Or change my thinking. Yeah, definitely. And that's then, what kids that's- do, man. Absolutely. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. So here you are kicking butt at Avon Fisher. You guys are rocking and rolling, ton of great press, awards, uh, doing amazing food and projects. You decide to go off on your own. And then you probably sign a lease February of 2020, maybe? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, <laughs> I signed my lease February 29th of 2020. February 29, so leap year, right? You said February 29. Yeah. Right, crazy things happen on leap year. So at that point, let's just pretend we go back then. It's February 29th. 
I heard of COVID, like maybe I read one news article, didn't think anything of it. And then the world shuts down two weeks later. When you were getting ready for this, did you have any inkling of like, wow, this could really get crazy in two weeks? No. No. <laughs> no absolutely right? not. None. I also didn't think of it. I mean, I don't even think there were any cases in Philadelphia at the time. No, nothing. There's absolutely nothing going on. It's crazy. So then you signed the lease. Then two weeks later, maybe the world shuts down, right? Yeah. Two weeks later, I had to like plan my whole exit for me, Fisher. I had to give them notice. I, had to, I was going to work throughout the month. Um, Dude. But so I never really had like my last official day there, which kind of sucks. But. Damn. So what's going through your mind? You sign it. You're ready to open up your business, your dream. You have all these ideas ready to get going, looking at the buildings or had the building. And then everything just shuts down. What's your first move from there? What's your next move? Uh, we took a couple weeks to figure Crazy. out how to how we're gonna because my wife so my wife was still working because she mm-hmm. was in healthcare. So she was working from home. Mm-hmm. So she never stopped. But I was home with the kid because mm-hmm. they shut down the schools. So I was just trying to keep her busy all day. And you know, we all thought this would pass. Oh yeah, yeah. two weeks done. Yeah, two weeks, two weeks inside, four weeks, maybe yeah. six weeks. So for me, it was like, all right, cool. Like now I have either way I was going to leave. I left two weeks early. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I'll just figure it out. And I was in the early stages of planning. So I was able, still able to plan with my architects and I'd already contacted my contractors and all that. I was able to start planning. And then I think in June, we started construction early oh. June or late oh. May. We met it in demo. How much did, did the shutdown slow down? To be honest, <laughs> if anything, it may have sped it up because we didn't we weren't able to get any permits because there were there were no offices open. The the municipality offices were closed. We started, I think, late May and then we were open by August. And another thing was like nobody was working, so I was able to really cherry pick my staff and just get like the best of the best because nobody had jobs. <laughs> So there was a benefit of COVID there, basically. There, there was definitely some benefit. And there were no restaurants opening. We got a lot of good press. Um, I mean, there were definitely its negatives after that point. But it was How also about- when, when we opened, it was also sort of, you know, an optimistic time. It was the summer of 2020. Cases were going down. There was talks about a vaccine. Mm-hmm. But cases were going down and people were starting to go out and, you know, go to the beach and, and just do things. And it was going in the right direction. So tell us about you tell us about the sandwich shop. Tell us about how you landed on sandwiches, fast casual. How'd you land there? The fast casual goes back to my schedule. I, I wanted something that I could do during the day. Also wanted something that could be done on a small scale. Mm-hmm. And then if it works, you could scale it up. Okay. The investments are much lower for something like this. You need a liquor license. You don't need all that stuff. I also wanted to serve food that was a little more approachable and everyone could enjoy versus me working in a fine dining restaurant. You only see the same people once a year. If that, you know, they come for a birthday or something, it's obviously very expensive. It's a special occasion kind of place. And I just wanted somewhere where you could go every day or every other day. I also saw the opportunity of this booming lunch rush in Philadelphia, which is coming back. So what do you see from your point of view? What's it look like now we're recording in May in 2022? What's Center City look like these days for business? 
I'd the, say they're maybe 35% back, 40% okay. back. We hope what it goes to 60, 70%, something like that. It gets to maybe three quarters of what it was. Yeah. It'd be nice to get back to a hundred. I don't see why it shouldn't. I'm, I don't think it will anytime soon. So I was there uh, a couple months back uh, at your place. So uh, confession, I turned vegetarian. And the first time in two and a half years I had anything, I had your grilled swordfish sandwich and it tasted like gold. Like it was absolutely <laughs> awesome. Like phenomenal. Awesome. Like a double plus, like so good. One of those sandwiches, I could have five of them. That's how good they were. And uh, the bread, possibly the best bread I've ever had. So we created this milk bun. We adopted it from this Japanese style bread called milk bread, mm-hmm. which is like, it's an enriched bread. It's their version of white bread, I would say, but it's got more personality. It's got more flavor. It's got, it could, it could really hold up better. Sort of the techniques they use behind it. They create a lot more gluten, which gives them more structure, gives them more flavor. We use like fresh, fresh ingredients, we use fresh eggs, fresh butter, that sort of thing. I really wanted to create a bun that was sort of reminiscent to like a potato bun, but they're actually, now that I look back, I'm happy I didn't create a potato bun because I think our buns are better. I just really liked the idea of like things on a soft bun, like a burger or a chicken sandwich or an egg sandwich, like everything on soft bread, I think is so good. And Philly really has like, it's, it's crusty bread. That's already figured out the hoagies, the cheesesteaks. I didn't really want to go that route. So I wanted to pick sort of a different path. It's got a certain level of nostalgia to it. And I thought it would be great. So we created this bread throughout the pandemic. I developed it. What's your biggest life lesson you could tease out or business lesson you could tease out through your two years of uh, running your own show? Um, no days off. <laughs> really? How so? There's no days off. We're also a seven day operation. I'm always on call. Um, there's no, I would say there's no task too small for a business owner. Yeah. So you're out there probably shoveling snow, right? You're fixing the, you're changing the light bulbs. You're doing all that. Oh yeah. Dang. Like today, for instance, I was butchering chicken Okay. while I was talking to the repairman, <laughs> emailing my accountant and trying to figure out how I'm going to pick my kids up in an hour. You're doing all that as the lunch crowd's coming in and uh, yep. yeah, wow, you got it all going on. Damn. What's the biggest surprise running your own show for two years? The biggest surprise? There's a lot more than you think that there is. There's a lot more that goes into things. There's a lot more that goes into business than just simply signing a check over or signing a lease. There's just a lot that goes into it. And I, I love learning. I'm, I, I love learning new things. So like every day I'm learning something new for right. this business. And, and I, I think the more I learn, the better I get at it, the better I get at it, the more successful I'll be. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Moving on to a part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Looking back of all the things from Zahav to starting at the Jewish Deli at 15 to going to LA to Ava Fisher to Yuda, open up your own shop. What's the biggest challenge you ever faced? The biggest challenge I've ever faced? I mean, I would say opening a restaurant was pretty challenging. Yeah, during the pandemic. pandemic. <laughs> 
If you could tell yourself something now, like you could talk to yourself in February of 2020, you could synthesize something in a sentence or two, what would you tell yourself? I would say, take it slow, take it day by day. There's no rush into this. You got to get it right. You're going to learn along the way. Don't get too connected to any ideas. Don't get too hung up on any ideas. Like, yep. this is how it has to be. This is how big the bread has to be. This is how many chickens we have to sell to. Whatever it is, exactly. just go with the flow, see what happens. Yep. And then you almost have to be reactive in a sense. Mm. Like, you have to be prepared, but you also have to be reactive to see how people react, to see how people. Sounds like jujitsu. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like you're rolling. It's like a daily roll. Eight hours a day, you're rolling. With everything you got going on with your family, your new restaurant, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? Well, jujitsu is <laughs> the obvious answer to that. For our listeners, so you and I go way back. We both trained jujitsu at Balance Studios for, for years, and we trained together for a while. So jujitsu, how often can you do it these days with how busy you are? Two to three times a week. If I'm awesome. lucky, I go to Ricardo's class Wednesday noon in Fishtown and then Friday noon in Fishtown. Nice. And then sometimes I'll train with Jay Reddick. We'll just do privates together. Awesome. Thursdays. Yeah. He's a beast. So he's so good. He's a beast. and He's really good. And he definitely shuts everything down that i try so that's always a good thing <laughs> he's um, really good it's been a no, couple he, years since i've been on the mat with jay but i want ricardo is just world-class ridiculous but jay is really good as well and, and uh oh, dude you got two great teachers there yeah he just got his brown belt a few months ago so what do you got right now jujitsu wise gi or no gi what team you on uh, you know what i'm all new gi nowadays are you really 100 yeah i'm 100 percent no gi you like all lower body attacks? Or I do like leg locks. I do like Kimuras. It's kind of my go-tos. But you know, Joe, you were you taught my first class that I ever went to. That's right. Yeah, the first time you went in a basics class on Tuesday. Yeah, that's correct. That that was my bread and butter were those basic classes, and you know, I I give you that. I give you those props for teaching those for those first few months. Really, you were you were my you were my sensei. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that is that awesome. That is awesome. We, great. Go, like, you would teach me very great detail. I do think, you know. You got good quick too, dude. And also too, we both under the Ricardo tree, you got Drew Vogel. And yeah. you know, I know you and I both spent a ton of time under Drew Vogel. Yes. So it was you would teach on Tuesdays. And I think Drew would teach uh, Thursdays or sometimes he would teach Tuesdays. Yeah, also. That was like, and then there's a great picture. I think on Drew's last class, there's a great group shot of the people that were with him for years. And you and I are like standing next to each other in the picture. Oh, great. I'll send that to you. I just found that one. It's a really good one. So something about getting totally destroyed on the mat, but going up against a Jay or a Ricardo, and then your mind is just like totally cleared. And even though you're totally exhausted, you're energized. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. You know, because you're you can't look at your phone. You're just not distracted. And no. You, you got to be in the moment because for one split second, you're thinking of something else. You're getting choked out. You lose focus for one second. Like, oh, I got to do this tonight. I got to pick up dry cleaning. I got to call my banker. Whatever it is, like, boom, you're getting cross choked. Or you're getting a commode, or someone's putting you in an ankle lock or something. Like, and it's yeah. just, 
You got to be such present moment awareness. I think that's the secret to that, where the people that train jujitsu, they have that ability that when they bring it into the boardroom or the kitchen or the restaurant or wherever they are, the law firm, whatever they do, you can go present mind, like boom. And like this, they block out all the distractions, like silo what you're doing for that moment, then move on with your day. Like he's really focused. He's locked in. I think jujitsu gives you that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. It definitely teaches you how to work in a dynamic setting. That's why I think that it, it works for chefs because we're multitasking and things are always changing. Like you're never, you're not just like, this is a form that you have to type up and that's the only thing you have to do for the next two hours. It's like, no, you got the 40 different things fired. Plus you got this thing's breaking and this employee mm-hmm. is having this problem. Well, this customer's having this problem and you're able to just like kind of let it all flow and really solve problems, solve dynamic problems. Yeah. And that's what jujitsu is also. And that's what happened in life too, man. Like trying yeah. to get two, two kids out the door under the age of three. That's crazy. Isn't it's it? like, it's insane. It's like trying to get out of a inside heel hook. It teaches you how to problem solve. Like, like this morning, like we, we do the sunrise class at Ataraxis where I train at 6 a.m. And I had this purple belt on me who's awesome. He's all over me. And I'm problem solving. Like, all right, his ankle's here. Where'd my hips go? It might take a second in your head, but it seems like it's an hour. Like, it, like you problem solve as you go, right? Mm-hmm. And like, and it almost like you're fixing the car as it's moving, right? Yeah. And it teaches you how to do that. Like you can't stop and go, your car's still going 70 miles an hour down the road, but you're fixing <laughs> it and making the adjustments as you go so you don't crash. Yep. Nah, so true, man. No, thanks for sharing that's that. That's a good way of putting that. When you look out to the year ahead, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? I want to expand Buddha. Yeah. I would like to open a second location. That'd be great. I'm looking in South Jersey. Near where I'm moving, Cherry Hill, Marlton. Oh, yeah. Orange, cool. That area. <laughs> Mount Laurel, even. Yep. And I want to take this place to new highs. I want to promote everybody that's working under me and, you know, hire new people and you know, just make some great things happen for Huda. That's awesome. Wrapping up here, a couple fun questions to, to ask to wrap this up here to be respectful of your time. I know you got a lot going on. You have two kids now. You have Liliana and what, Leo, right? That's yeah. fine. Awesome. So yeah. boy and a girl, like one and three and one. What type of values do you try to pass on to your kids? Being a good person. Yeah. You know, saying hello to people, saying good yep. morning, learning from people. I think you can learn from everybody and anybody. Yeah. That's a very important value. And staying healthy, physically healthy, yep. uh, mentally healthy. Don't watch too much TV. Don't eat too much junk. But watch some TV, eat some junk. To summarize that, you're saying kindness, stay open-minded, continual student, and mental, physical health. Yeah. I think that's that's a great way to live your life. That's an amazing way. They're fantastic values. You could tell you're an amazing parent. If people listening could take, if you could distill like one lesson, business lesson, life lesson from everything we spoke about, from your time from working at the Jewish deli at 15 years old to your time to all the amazing restaurants you worked at to your running your own show. Now, what would the lesson be? If you could have everyone listening to this, take away one lesson from everything we discussed from your time starting at the Jewish deli at 15 
to your time in LA, to Zahav, to Abe Fisher, to opening up your own shop during a pandemic, everything we spoke of, what would be the lesson? The lesson would be the path is more important than the goal. The path, yeah. You got to set set mini goals. You got to set long-term goals. And you got to understand that not everything's going to work how you planned it, but you just got to keep, keep trucking, man. Just keep pushing through it and things, there's going to be ups and downs and it's just how you react. Some people have better luck than others, but it's just really how you react to situations and Mm -hmm. how you treat the people around you. And it's just important. Yeah. Treat people with respect, trust the process, enjoy the journey. As you go along the path, there's going to be bumps. Believe in yourself, keep going, and treat people kind along the way. Exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Just two more here wrapping up. I really appreciate your time. If you could spend the day with any chef, alive or dead, pick their brain, who would it be? Probably Thomas Keller. Yeah? How so? So he's the goat. Okay. (laughs) He... He opened the French Laundry in Napa Valley probably 30 years ago. Okay. And he wrote this, he wrote a cookbook, the French Laundry cookbook, probably 20 years ago. Okay. And his approach to cooking is just so clean and systematic and smart. And he doesn't, everything he does, like he didn't really invent anything. He just literally took the basics of cooking and just mastered it. Mm-hmm. And he, his focus on like how he small dices a carrot and why it's so important. And you really lose that nowadays with all this instant gratification, TikTok world is what I call yeah, sure. it. Most kids nowadays that are working in restaurants don't have the same training that they did, you know, 20 years ago where you had to master knife skills in order to start cooking. That was mm-hmm. it. You couldn't pick up a saute pan until you knew how to perfectly dice 10 pounds of onions. Back, Just, it's, back, it's back to the basics, right? It's back to like before you do in jujitsu at Barambolo, you got to learn to trap and roll, elbow escape, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could fake it. You can know a Barambolo, but then you're going to you're gonna run into some problems. You really were because you'll get foot locked possibly. Yeah. And, and it's the same with jujitsu. You see it. Kids, they learn moves on YouTube and some of them are very smart and quick with it and they can hit some moves and that's cool and all. But like when it comes to long term, like, the, the people that really understand basics are generally the, the most solid ones. You know, they're the ones that could teach and they're the ones that understand it from a, a broader perspective. I think what Thomas Keller would teach everyone is like, you know, love, love every aspect of it. It's not just when you're throwing that, throwing the vegetables in the pan. Again, it's how you're peeling the potato. It's how your station looks. It's how clean you're working. It's how it's all those things. So I think he would be the guy. Awesome. Now, Thomas, that sounds like an awesome one. Last question. If you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? I'd probably say, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) That's freaking great. Let's go. That is about as good as a spot as any to end. Chef, you're the, you're the man, dude. I appreciate you, Juan. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you dude, so much. Dude, amazing. First off, amazing meeting you a few years back on the mat. After two hours on the mat with you, I'm like, this guy's going to be a baller. So awesome to reconnect with you. I wish you nothing but success at Yuda, your new venture. If people listening to this are looking for you and Yuda Restaurant on Rittenhouse uh, online, where can they find you? So our website is hudaphl.com. Our Instagram is hudaphl. And you can find us at 32 South 18th Street, which is on 18th Street between Chestnut and Market. 18th Street between Chestnut and Market, Yuda. Amazing sandwiches. I would start off with the grilled swordfish. They're just phenomenal. But Yuda, thanks for joining us. Wish you continued success. Hope to see you on the mat again soon, man. And just, dude, let's go. Let's keep rocking. Hey, let's go, right? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks, bro. I appreciate you, man. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. See you soon.